Once again, good morning, everyone. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 this morning. If you brought a Bible with you and you just want to open up your Bible and read along in there and maybe make some notes in your Bible, also inside your program folder, you'll find uh, the, the message notes that will allow you to follow along with me in today's sermon. We're going to read from Acts chapter 2, but let me, let me just uh, expand a little bit on what I uh, just a moment or two said about law and gospel Sometimes people look at the Bible and they, they really don't understand how God wants us to break it down for best effect. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. As we've already said, God is using our, our entire life to strengthen us, develop us, and build us. And the way he does that is through these two big, big themes in the Bible, one is the law, where God shows us our sins, and the other is the gospel, where he shows us our Savior. And we're going to see that actually spring forth from Peter's sermon, inspired by the Holy Spirit, immediately following the day of Pentecost. You saw Romans, where Paul wrote in terms of law and gospel, and, and now we're going to see it in Peter's sermon as well. Peter is going to use the law to show the people their sins, to convict them, to help them see, boy, we need Jesus to be our Savior. And then he's going to present Jesus the Savior to them and the hope and the forgiveness that he brings. Now, before I dive in and before you listen to this Pentecost sermon, I want you to personally understand why this is so important to understand law and gospel. My prayer is that anyone here, whether you're first time stepping into a church or whether you've been a Christian your entire life and you became a Christian when you were baptized at three days old after you were born, is that you want to learn more, that you want to develop, but not just your knowledge, but also you want to deepen your faith in Jesus, find the hope for your daily life that he wants you to have and the peace and the forgiveness and actually be able to use that in your life and have your heart change, have your mind change, and have your actions change because of what this says. At the root of all of this development, and I'll explain why in a moment, is understanding these two themes, these two big messages of the Bible, law and gospel. And that's why you hear us talk about them a lot. So with, without any further ado, Let's, uh, let's jump in to Acts chapter 2. It's a long section, I'll warn you, but this is Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Remember, they've just made fun of Peter and the apostles. They've had too much wine. These guys have been drinking too much, and so this is what happens next. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. These aren't spirits, Peter is saying. This is the spirit, the capital S spirit. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. 
I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we're working a little bit of law and gospel in there, but here comes the hard-hitting law that Peter is going to use to convict them now. Okay, here's the next section. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man, and, and what he's going to say next is, whom you should have known what he was about if you had really been looking. He was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. That's law. Let's hear a little gospel. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Do you see today the living Lord always before you? Can you say in my own life, I will not be shaken because he is always there present with me. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. I can't help but spill forth with joy. My body also will rest in hope. That's gospel. Because you, just like you didn't abandon your son to the grave, you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I tell you, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day, but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an, on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. Now, this is pure gospel. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. See, now it's having an impact, isn't it, this law and gospel? They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's part of the gospel, too, the gift of the Holy Spirit to help us trust God. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, 
for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number on that day. All right, I promised you the answer to a big why. If it's true that there really are these two major themes, these two big teachings of the Bible, law and gospel, why? Why do we need those? Why do we need to understand that those are there for our benefit and for our blessing? And, and why is it that when we do get what law and gospel are all about, we're probably going to be much better at having our faith developed than we would without understanding what law and gospel is. Now, a lot of people will just lump the Bible together. It's the Bible. The Bible is the Word of God. We know the Word of God is powerful. And many might feel that's all we need to know. And you know what? If you're there, you've come a long way by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is fantastic. Now, I want to take you one more step. And that is to explain to you today law and gospel and why it's so important for you to understand the difference and use both to help you develop your faith in your relationship to Jesus Christ. And I want to start with this. So I want to share an experience in Africa. In Africa, there are six-month-long rainy seasons where it rains every day and the roads turn into bogs rivers sometimes, and this happened to me many, many times. I want you to notice these guys. This, by the way, is not my actual vehicle. It's just one I found, but it could have been my actual vehicle. I did, in fact, drive a Land Rover to get to my churches, and so many times I, I had villagers come up and go, oh, you're stuck. One time I had to have my Land Rover pulled out by a team of oxen. It was so stuck. There was no other way to get it out of the bog. Sometimes there was nobody around on some of the roads I went, and I, tried to, I had to try to figure out how to get, but I learned a trick. I learned a very important trick about how to get unstuck when you are in this scenario. And I'm going to share it with you because maybe one day, it probably won't be this much mud, but maybe it'll be snow. And I'm going to guess that some of you, maybe many of you already know this trick, but let's be obvious about it. Do you know what it means to rock your vehicle if you're stuck? How do you get forward momentum? Well, what I learned is in order to get forward momentum in this, you had to be willing to not just go forward, but also backward a little bit and rock your vehicle out of being stuck. So you would, you would get it so that maybe it had enough purchase under here that you could, you know, begin to get a little forward momentum, but then you had to, you had to sort of figure out when was the right time to let off the gas and let the Land Rover rock back until you created a rocking motion, an oscillation forward and backward, and then 
you could get enough momentum from the oscillation to get past this little hole that you dug with your, and by the way, four-wheel drive vehicles are the worst. When you're stuck in a four-wheel drive vehicle, you're stuck. And so you'd rock back and forth, and through those oscillations, you could build forward motion. Now, you guys know this already, even though you, many of you, maybe all of you, have never been to Africa, you know this because all of us as children share a common experience. I'm guessing there's not one person in this room who hasn't experienced what I'm about to show you next, which shows that the power of oscillation. Can you guess what I'm thinking about? In order to go high and forward, on a swing, you can't just move from equilibrium, the center point, and go forward, can you? It's not, it's not possible. It will never work that way. The laws of physics prevent it from working that way. You have to be willing to go a little forward, then a little backward, until you're swinging really high, and you've got a lot of forward momentum, but you're also allowing the backward momentum to take you back, which is all a big part of the fun, isn't it? And so you rock back and forth so that you can go higher. Guess what? It works exactly the same spiritually. Are you stuck spiritually? And do you feel like your faith isn't developing the way that you'd want it to develop? Are you feeling like, ugh, it's, my life is just mucky. And I, I can't seem to get some forward momentum with my faith. I can't seem to build and go higher. Well, here's, this is the why, guys, for law and gospel. God gave us a way to spiritually oscillate. Do you know what it's called at the bottom of the swing in physics when you're just sitting there? That is known as a state of equilibrium, meaning there, there's no forces pushing you forward or backward. Equilibrium, you're balanced in the middle. And some of us can easily find ourselves in a state of spiritual equilibrium, which we sometimes call... Uh, that, that we are stuck, feel like we're, we're stuck. And we want to get out of that equilibrium, go further, go higher, and guess what God's spiritual tools for that are? Law and gospel. And we could equate law to the backward swing and gospel to the forward swing. And as we oscillate between law and gospel... That's when our faith develops. That's when we get stronger in our relationship to Jesus because the law shows us this hole that we've dug and the gospel says Jesus will climb down in that hole, put you on his shoulder, and take you out of it. Jesus is going to take you forward. Jesus is going to take you higher in life. But first you need to know the need for this. So you know, if you've been here at all, that my favorite word is and. And the reason my favorite word is and is because and is, represents the equilibrium. Notice in this phrase today, law and gospel. 
And so what we're going to learn about today is how Peter, in his Pentecost sermon, took the people back first. And he said, guys, do you realize the need? You're standing here, you're seeing this miracle of Pentecost, you're asking yourself, how is this going to happen? And you may wonder, what's the significance personally for you of all this miraculous stuff going on? And I'm going to tell you that right now. So, your first part on your notes is part one of the most important and in the Bible. What is part one of the most important and in the Bible? Let's look at what it says in Acts chapter 2, 22b. Here's what it says. Jesus was a man accredited to you by God, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. I want you to underline that, as you yourselves know, because it's important in what Peter is saying here. He's really saying if you'll step back, get on the balcony, and evaluate what's going on, you're going to be able to see you have some needs if you can be honest with yourself. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, meaning this was God's plan for us. And you, however, this doesn't take away our responsibility for the wrong thing, wrong things we do, Peter says, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. I want to focus on Wonders, signs, miracles God did among him. So Peter's preaching to a bunch of people who prior to the day of Pentecost had seen Jesus do all these amazing things multiple times over. In fact, it's kind of interesting to read the Apostle John who followed Jesus through all of this and then wrote a book because take a look in John 20 and, and you're going to see John say this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not recorded in this book. People even struggle to count within the Gospels how many miracles did Jesus actually do. And some have come up with a number in the 40s that are recorded. But what does John say? There's so many others that were never written down. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not, have, would, have, would not have room for the books that would be written. Jesus did so much, and we only have a portion of it, but Peter, talking to the people in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, is saying, guys, how did you not know? Is it every day that people just come along? And do dozens and dozens of miracles perform signs? And think about that word sign, you know. When, when something is supposed to be changing or happening, you have all these blinking signs on the highway to tell you, hey, slow down, hey, turn right, hey, here's a detour, and it's all indicated by these signs. Jesus is giving us signs wondrous, wonderful signs, and Jesus or Peter could still look at us today and say, if you read this, how can you not know? How, how blind are we to all these blinking lights in 
indications of the direction to God that we should go. Peter's answer to that is, it's got to be some sort of spiritual blindness that causes you to be like this. And let's just admit and confess that we have this spiritual blindness. But he goes deeper than that. It's not just spiritual blindness. He says, you're responsible. You made a decision. You made some horrible choices that resulted not only in you committing sins, but made you responsible for the Messiah's death. And that, sometimes people have these debates, you know, I always find them humorous. Was it the Jews that killed Jesus? Oh, no, no, no. It wasn't the Jews. That, it was the Romans, Pontius Pilate. The Romans killed Jesus. And they go back and forth. And you know what the Bible says? You do know what the Bible says, don't you, in the law? You killed Jesus. I killed Jesus. Through our sins. We put him on that cross. He's there because of my sins and yours. He's there because he's bearing the cost. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23 says. And I know that sounds really hard. And why, why would I even want to sound really hard? I like being a nice guy. I like filling you with hope and forgiveness, and grace, but I also believe there's an and. It's why it's my favorite word, and I believe that and is often there to create oscillation, and that the power is actually in the oscillation, and that if we as a church only preach the good news of Jesus Christ, we're ultimately going to end up in nothing more than sentimentality. And we'll be very nice, very sentimental sounding, and very, very ineffective in developing disciples of Jesus. We need all of us, myself included, to be willing to have the power of the Spirit through God's law to take us back first. Let's go back. That's what Peter's doing. Let's go back. Did you see all those miracles? Did you ever ask yourself who could do such miracles and signs and wonders? Did you not add two and two together and think, well, here are the prophecies that God gave us in the Old Testament, and here's what Jesus is doing? Apparently, you didn't do those things because when it came time for Jesus to be crucified, it was you standing there saying, crucify him, crucify him. We got to go back, guys. I don't, it's not pleasant for me, I'm sure Peter's thinking, but we got to go back. And we still today got to go back and review our weakness, our blindness, the times when we have acted more like God's enemy than God's friend, when we have forgotten God's power and grace toward us, when we have been willful and said it's all about me, not all about him, and I'm going to do what I want, and if there's an empowerment, I hope everybody around me recognize that I'm powerful, 
and bows down to what I want. How I want it, when I want it, why I want it, but most importantly, that I want it. So let's all get on board with me and what I want. That's the root of sin. And when we go back and review that, we start to see, hmm, as tough as that is to hear, it's exactly what these people needed to hear, the first part of the end. And I'm going to tell you what it is. The law teaches we are responsible for Jesus' death. Take a look at this quote from Spurgeon. You cannot preach conviction of sin unless you have suffered it. You cannot preach repentance unless you have practiced it. You cannot preach faith unless you have exercised it. True preaching is artesian, like a well. It springs, it wells up from the great depths of the soul. If Christ has not made a well within us, there will be no outflow from us. So this is Jesus, through the law, digging the well so we can get to the true water of life. And what, is, what Spurgeon says is so true of the guy preaching this sermon that we're studying today. Do you think that Peter, in reflecting on his actions, the times when Peter said, Jesus, stop talking about dying. You can't die. You can't leave us. Jesus, if anybody tries to Arrest us? I'm whacking off their ear with my sword. And he did. The time when Peter promised, I will never deny you, Lord. You go down, I'm going down. Right alongside of you. And then when asked if he was a disciple, said, I don't know the man. And threw in a few choice cuss words to prove that he didn't know the man. And then he sees Jesus rise, and Jesus personally, eyeball to eyeball, say, Peter, do you love me? And Jesus says, feed my sheep and feed my lambs and forgives Peter. Do you not think that that is welling up in Peter on the day of Pentecost? Like an artesian well? Because he had to be taken backward to go forward. He had to be dug into so that, he, so that his soul could find the water of life. And it is not easy, it is not pleasant, it is not fun, but it is necessary. And that's why we have these two teachings in the Word. The law. God's powerful digging tool to get at the root of our soul and show us our sins and show us our need for a savior. But that's not all. Part two of the most important and in the Bible. Let's look at the next part. But God raised him from the dead, Jesus, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Peter's preaching. Look at, look at the hope that David had. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because 
You will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. Beautiful gospel. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. We go backwards so we can go forward. And the more we're willing to dig or have the spirit dig into our soul and go backward, the more momentum it builds so that we can go forward. We can rock our way out of this spiritually mucky bog that we find ourselves in. We can get out of the spiritual inertia. You know, a body at rest, remember your science class, tends to remain at rest unless something comes along like that Land Rover and rocks it out of its mucky, stuck place. And then we can build forward inertia. inertia. Let's take a look at this quote from Tim Keller. The Christian, go back first. I want, to give, I, want, I want him to study just the beginning part of it. The Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. Yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. Is that not amazing? We're so sinful. We're so weak. We're so blind. We're so spiritually dead that Jesus had to die for us. And yet, Jesus did not have anybody with a long, sharp stick poking him into dying for us. No, as it says here, he loves you and me so much. He values you, the Son of God, Jesus. And for that matter, the Father and the Holy Spirit too, and values you so much that he was glad to die for you. He did it willingly, the Bible tells us. Now, that's the first part of the quote. Let's go on to the next slide. I want you to hear the whole thing because I think this is super impactful. When I read this, I thought, I need to memorize this. The Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me, yet I'm so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. Now look at how Keller goes on. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. You know what he's talking about? Oscillation. He's talking about the law takes me backward and humbles me. The gospel brings me forward and gives me deep, deep confidence. This is why David could say, no matter, if you know the life of David, you know how many big struggles he went through. And yet, Peter says, he said, I will not be shaken. Nothing can shake me. Not with God with me. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. That is so practical for me. I don't, know, I don't know about for you. Swaggering and sniveling. That's a perfect description of Jeff Gunn. Because I'm so tempted at times to go, I got this. God, you stay home. I got this one this time. I hope I don't say that too often, but I, I can get pretty proud. And then sometimes when things aren't going my way, oh my gosh, can I complain and worry and grind on how bad I feel. 
Sniveling is the perfect word for it. I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. Both are true. It's an oscillation back and forth. I do not think more of myself nor less of myself. Another oscillation. Instead, I think of myself less. That's true humility. That's the practical the practical outcome, the stuff of being willing to oscillate between law and gospel in the Bible. And it's so very important. Jesus is the payment for your sins and mine. And by his sacrifice, you are fully and freely forgiven. Take a look at, at what the Bible says. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. We don't want you to sin, but if anybody does sin, because we know you will sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice, meaning the payment that brings about reconciliation between God and man. You've heard me define atoning as at oneing. We were separated from God because of our sin. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we're at one with him again. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's the promise of the gospel, and it's so very beautiful. The Bible says this. You can fill this in. The gospel teaches us Jesus took ownership of our sins. It's penalty. It's payment. It's punishment. Jesus took ownership of all those things. So... What's the future hold for you and me? Imagine it. Imagine your future right now. If you're willing to go backward and forward in both law and gospel, it's beautiful. Go back to the picture of the swing. That's life with Jesus. That's life with law and gospel. It's a life of going to new heights spiritually. It's a life of knowing how to build for yourself by being in the Bible, by being in law and gospel, forward momentum, true forward momentum, by being willing to go back, to go forward. This could be a picture of your childhood. It could also be a picture of your spiritual future. If you are willing to put yourself into your Bibles, into law and gospel. What does Peter say at the very end of his sermon? He says, the promise is meant for you and your children and for all who are far off. You feel far off today from God? The promise is for you. It's for everyone. It's for your children. It's for all whom the Lord our God will call, and he is today calling you through his word. Earlier, Phil mentioned Romans 15. What's the future hold? He, he told us what the future hold, but, but look at it again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. That's your future in law and gospel as you're empowered by it. That's your future in Jesus as you trust in him so that you may overflow an artesian well, overflowing with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we want for you. I know that's what you want for yourselves. And that's what, most importantly, God wants for you, has for you, and will give you, empowered by his word, by law and gospel, 
by oscillating by keeping the and in the middle. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we're so grateful that you have given us law and gospel, and we ask you to bless us through it. And Lord, we want to confess that we trust you. We trust your convicting word that shows us our need for a Savior. We trust your hope-filled word of the gospel that points us to our Savior Jesus, the Son of God, the one who did many miracles, signs, and wonders to show us that he truly is the long-promised Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's confess our Christian faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come.